You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. The scripture reading for today is from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law Jethro, Midian's priest. He led his flock out to the edge of the desert, and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm here. Then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I'll be with you, and this will show you that I'm the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here and worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I now come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they are going to ask me, what's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God continued, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how all generations will remember me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our spiritual journey will take us many places. At times, it will transcend your imagination. Other times, you will feel like you made a wrong turn. What do we do during those times of doubt? Those times of disbelief? What do we do when faith falters? Good morning, everybody. So a little fun fact about me is I woke up this morning at 5.52 a.m. in a cold sweat, having a nightmare that my laptop didn't work when I got to church. 
And I made a joke about it in the first service, and we all laughed. And then about 10 seconds into the Jennings' video in the second service, I opened my laptop and it was dead. So that was fun. We have now printed out a copy of the service, of the sermon. We're ready to go. Low tech. This is the acoustic set here today. Will you join me all in prayer? Will you all join me? Whatever pronoun. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, the God who is. Amen. So as you heard in the introduction a few moments ago, I work in pediatrics at Duke Hospital. And part of my job, actually kind of my favorite part of my job, is checking in on families who have just had a child admitted for treatment. The doctors focus on healing the patient, and my job as a social worker is to focus on the parents. As anyone who has cared for a loved one going through a health crisis will know, it can be really hard to strike up an authentic conversation in this kind of weird situation. A family may not feel ready to think about, let alone to talk about, their child's illness. They may have concerns and priorities that are outside of my scope of practice, things that they need help in, but I just can't really speak to. They may just be sick of strangers walking in the room all hours of day and night while they try to sleep on the world's smallest recliner amidst the sounds of tubes and machines and beeping and worrying for their child. Each time I prepare to step into a room, I wonder, can I really make a meaningful contribution to what this family is experiencing? Do I have something to offer that they actually need or want? Will they even think that talking to me was worth their time today? You may have felt that way once or twice in your life. You may have felt that way once or twice this morning. There's something very human about wondering, fearing, even doubting our ability to make a meaningful contribution in the lives of those around us. It's often so much easier to believe that we aren't enough than to dare to imagine that actually we are. We're going to talk about self-doubt today in the context of Moses' conversation with God on Mount Horeb. You may have heard that Moses goes on to do some pretty cool things in the story of God's people, but when we meet him in today's text, he hasn't really done any of that yet. He's just a guy living in relative obscurity who's about to come into a hugely influential role, about to become the biggest name in Hebrew history to date. And he's just not sure that he's up for that task. So let's start with getting a sense of who Moses is on paper, the character traits and identities that we can glean from the first couple of chapters of his story up to now. You may be familiar with the story of Moses' birth to an enslaved Hebrew family in Egypt, and then his sudden and shocking rise to the heights of power when he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Moses knows that he belongs by birth to the Hebrew community, but also that he has acquired this high status thanks to his relationship with the royal family. And Moses is passionate about correcting injustice inflicted upon his people, passionate to a fault. 
We know that Moses, in fact, in his passion for justice and fair treatment of the Israelites, killed an Egyptian and then fled from Egypt, went out into the desert and settled down. There he became a family man. He became a shepherd, a person who devotes his life to caring for the meek and the mild of the world. And if we read between the lines, even in this story, we can get a sense of Moses' character where God meets him today. Moses is curious. He's courageous and willing to explore this burning bush. He's wise in presenting himself humbly before God and in thinking forward about all of the challenges that this task from God will bring. He has a lot of leadership qualities that he's developed over the years. But I don't think that these positive qualities are front of mind for Moses in this encounter. There's something about the way that he's hedging, trying to get out of this conversation, that suggests to me that what's front of mind for Moses right now is not the long list of reasons that he could do this thing, but the long list of reasons he feels like he is not up for the job. Moses was raised outside of the company of Israel. Are the people going to see him as one of their own, as somebody that they can trust and follow? Moses murdered a man and didn't face up to the crime. What kind of leader runs away from their mistakes? And speaking of running, he ran far away. He has been away from Egypt, away from the Hebrews and their daily struggles for a long time. Can he even pretend to know what they're going through in this moment? Nope, Moses is pretty certain that he is just not the right person to act on behalf of these people. But God, in this conversation, recognizes this hedging and is not bent by it. God has had more than a few disagreements with those whom God has called in the past. And so God introduces God's self to Moses by placing Moses in the context of this history. God says to this bewildered man, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. God places Moses in this line, this legacy of people who have been called to lead, to speak up on behalf of God's people. Now, if you're familiar with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you might know that they're not exactly good guys all the time. They are all, in fact, kind of terrible, at least on a few occasions. I personally have some beef with Abraham. Their being called by God does not reflect the goodness of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as individuals. It does not reflect the quality of their leadership or their skills and abilities. God's calling of these people, including Moses, reflects God's determination to walk with people who are flawed and to walk with them through whatever it is they are called to do. By putting Moses in line with these ancestors, God tells Moses that he too is called, even with all of his fears and all of his doubts. Moses isn't convinced yet, which is honestly fair. He has a few follow-up questions and engages God in an almost humorously theatrical, talking past each other kind of dialogue. Moses says, who am I to go and do this thing? And God says, I will be with you. Moses says, what am I going to say to these people to tell them who you are? And God says, I am who I am. 
This conversation reminds me actually of a TikTok video that I watched recently. I'm 28, I'm on TikTok. <laughs> the creator of this video was an autistic woman and she spoke about how frustrating it is when neurotypical people don't answer questions directly. For example, if she has plans with a friend, she might ask, hey, that place we're going for dinner tonight, is that gonna be inside or outside? And her friend might say, you should probably bring a sweater. Or she might ask her friend, hey, that party that we're going to, is there gonna be food there? And her friend will say, maybe eat something light ahead of time. These responses are thoughtful and kind. They show that the respondent is assuming the actual meaning behind the question and looking out for their friend, but they don't actually answer what was asked, not even a little bit. And you know, that's exactly how God is responding to Moses' questions and protests in this conversation. Moses is laying out some very logical questions, and God gives these beautiful and poetic but just miles away answers. When Moses asks, why should I be the one to do this? God could give him a direct answer. We could give him a direct answer. Remember all those character traits and leadership qualities that we just went over? But if God had said that, would Moses have believed God? Instead, God anticipates Moses' next question or next concern that Moses is actually worried he can't do this on his own. And so God assures Moses that God will be with him every step of the way. And then, when Moses asks what he could possibly tell Pharaoh to convince him of this God's might, God doesn't recount the stories of God's power. Moses probably knows those stories. Pharaoh might even know those stories. Moses could give that answer himself. And God doesn't feel the need to qualify God's identity. Instead, God rests on the power of self-assurance. I am who I am. And the implication here is that because Moses is known and chosen by the I am, Moses too can rest in the certainty of simply being. God's answers to both questions then is, because I chose you, because you are in this with me, because I know who I am. Now if you'll take out your grammar books, we're about to do a lesson on the be verb and its conjugations, because I'm gonna be using a lot of forms of the be verb in the rest of this sermon. Be, despite being a little bitty word, is a great big verb. To be is to exist, whether just to exist, period, or to exist in relation to something, or someone, or some particular state. So we might say, we are here in this room today, where I am talking, and you are listening, and we are talking about how Moses is standing on a mountain that is called Horeb, and he and God are talking. See how often the be verb comes up just in everyday conversation? The be verb is how we describe a philosophical concept as exceptional, as complex, as straightforward as existence. The be verb is all God needs to describe God's self. I am who I am. God doesn't need to cite any sources. 
It is enough for God simply to be. And by stating that so clearly and so surely, God tells Moses also that it is enough for him simply to be chosen by the God who requires no explanation, the God who just is. God has been present with the ancestors. God is present with Moses right now. God will be alongside Moses in every moment of the journey to which he is called. How can we understand such a huge, expansive concept as God's being? The same way that we understand ourselves, through relationship. You may be familiar with the philosophical concept posed by the French thinker René Descartes. Say it with me, I think, therefore, I am, right? According to Descartes, the ability to reason is what makes us who we are. And I think that's really interesting and really cool, but I also think it's a little lonely. If it's only our own minds that make us who we are, that sounds pretty solitary to me. So I'd like to offer you a different philosophy of existence, if you will, and that is the South African concept of Ubuntu, which is frequently translated in English as I am because we are. The concept of Ubuntu is grounded in the truth that our identity is never solitary. We are not in isolation. We are formed by our relationships, the community in which we live, the society all around us, the way we relate to the environment and to the spiritual. Each of us is the product of countless connections to the world around us, connections that are being refined and reshaped all the time. And it is these connections to others that make us who we are, who we all, as individuals and as a community, are. So when God positions Moses in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God grounds Moses in that formative community. God reminds Moses of the long history of familial relationships, stories that became scripture, beautiful and terrible and hopeful and tragic events that have made Moses who he is today. Moses may doubt his ability to bring help to God's people, but God reassures him that he is one in a long line who have felt the same fears, the same doubts, and still were chosen, still were called by God to be instrumental in this story. Hear me when I say that you too are somebody. You have a story. Your story probably includes some doubts and fears and regrets, just like Moses. You also have so many things to be hopeful about, so many reasons to feel capable and loved and chosen. And you, best of all, are made in the image of the God who is, which means that just as God is who God is, you are who you are. Now, I recognize that hearing that truth today in the abstract doesn't necessarily mean you'll be ready to believe it next time that you're feeling self-doubt. Sometimes that feeling that we're not enough hits really hard. 
And it's difficult to remember that it is enough simply for us to be. I have a friend who recently gave a mini sermon at a ministry event where we were both volunteering. This was her first time speaking in that sort of setting, and she called me up afterwards to ask for feedback. Now, something that's important to know about this friend and this friendship is that this friend of mine is neurodivergent. She's autistic, and a lot of the things that come easily to neurotypical folks like me can't really be taken for granted by some of our neurodivergent friends. So my friend will often ask me to explain things that I've never really thought about before, things that I just take for granted, that just come naturally. So when I was giving her feedback and telling her how awesome I thought she did, because she really, really did, she took a pause and she asked me, how do you deal with the feeling that you may not have done a good job on something? Whew, I was taken aback for a moment because although I am familiar with that feeling, I had never actually thought about it before, thought about how I respond, thought about how I would tell someone else to respond. I gave her the best answer that I could in that moment, but luckily for you all, it's been a few days and I've had a little bit more time to think. So now I'm gonna offer you my three-minute masterclass on dealing with self-doubt. Number one, Focus on what is meaningful to you in the given situation. This is particularly helpful when you, like my friend, feel like you've put yourself in a vulnerable position and you're worried about how that's being received by others. Try and release your fears about how others see you and focus your energy instead on what you gained from the experience. Did you get to say or do something that really matters to you? Did the experience draw you deeper into faith? Do you feel a sense of pride in yourself for what you've accomplished? Celebrate that because how you feel matters so, so much. Second, give what you can to the situation at hand. None of us is at 100% every day. Be honest with yourself about what you can reasonably offer in any given situation. You may not be your version of an ideal parent at 6 a.m. You may not feel like you have a lot to offer when you walk into a hospital room after having just finished a different difficult conversation. You may get through almost an entire sermon and not have mentioned Jesus even once. That's okay. Remember that you can't put everything you have into everything you do. Just bring whatever faithful and loving offering of self you can in that moment. And finally, when you feel self-doubt, get comfortable with it. Because self-doubt is normal. If you're feeling unsure of yourself, you are in good company. Having a healthy understanding of yourself will necessarily include having an awareness of your limitations. The thing is, having awareness of your limitations is what makes sure that you know where your room to grow is. You know where there's room in you for faith, to extend beyond yourself, to stretch, to do something you never realized that you could do 
because it's not just you doing it. If Moses had said, on it, boss, I have been training for this, I'm ready to go, let's do it, his story would not have been nearly as compelling. Moses' doubts, his awareness of his limitations and his fear, that's what makes him put faith in God to do that to which God has called him. It is only through Moses' relationship with the living God who is by his side at every moment that this story of liberation can come to life. I'm going to leave you today with an excerpt from one of the most beautiful blessings I've ever heard. This actually came to my attention as a track on a Semler album. I don't know if any of you have heard of the Christian musician Semler. They're, I think, the coolest, raddest, most authentic Christian musician um, possibly in the world. They're awesome. And their music explores what it means to have faith in the face of homophobia, hate, and deeply felt personal struggles with God. I invite you to find a comfortable position for receiving this blessing. Maybe that's bowing your head, closing your eyes, whatever feels comfortable and right to you. And I'll read to you from The Blessing given by the artist's friend, Kevin Garcia, and included as a track on the album, Thank God for That. You are chosen. You are loved. You are holy. And God loves you. Because 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 that is who God is. And I know God loves you because I do. And I know God loves me because you love me. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.